if we do not consciously include everyone, then we subconsciously exclude a lot of people. My name is Katerina, and I'm the community and event manager at eCulture, a company that is on a mission to shape the world of unbiased hiring. Welcome to the Oops, I'm Biased podcast. On today's episode of the Oops, I'm Biased podcast, I am speaking yet again to Bogdan Manta. This is part two of our conversation about psychological safety and inclusion. In the first part, if you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen or watch uh, on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, we spoke about psychological safety, what it is, the role it plays for performance, participation and learning, what happens in our brain when we don't feel safe, and situations can, that can trigger a breakdown of psychological safety. In this episode, we are focusing more so on the connection between inclusion and psychological safety. So we're going to cover the connection, how employee retention and employee engagement impact psychological safety. Can there be an environment that is inclusive without psychological safety? And lastly, how do you measure psychological safety in the workplace? Should there be a metric when measuring inclusion? that also covers psychological safety. So without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this episode and part two of the conversation with Bogdan Manta. Can you again paint a little bit of the picture of how does inclusion uh, connect to psychological safety? Why, why do these two even come up in the same sentence? Well, so first of all, we need to think about what do we refer to as inclusion? Because more and more what we see is that when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion, um, projects, teams, professionals choose a tiny little part of DEI and they focus on that. And unfortunately, if we do not consciously include everyone, then we subconsciously exclude a lot of people. And I will say that again, because I think it's very important for everyone to understand. If we do not consciously include everyone, we subconsciously exclude. This is one of my very personal problems with, uh, 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 with DEI nowadays, that uh, uh, they will pick a little part of DEI and they will only focus on that. And then uh, someone who tries to say, but let's include more people. And then you get attacked because apparently you're against that topic. No, it has nothing to do with that. Inclusion has to happen at an organizational level. And of course, we focus on specific elements of diversity and inclusion, and I'm not going to go there. Um, it's not my topic, by the way. DEI is not my topic per se. I focus a lot on neurodiversity. I focus a lot on, on psychological safety. But my background is very much on communication, negotiation, facilitation, presenting, neuroscience, uh, uh, so on, and show production, a lot of other crazy things. But one kind of leads into another. Um, what is very important there is that, first and foremost, we need to include everyone. When we develop a programs or when we look at psychological safety across the organization, we need to look at psychological safety across the organization. Because if we create a program which will favor certain people, and as a result, the others will feel psychologically unsafe or even uh, hunted or uh, uh, tracked down or anything like that, then actually you're making the problem bigger than it is. 
So when it comes to inclusion and, and psychological safety, we need to make sure as much as possible. It's difficult. I'm never saying that it's easy. My No, it's not easy. But I personally do not want it easy. I just wanted to make it work. Um, so we do need to consciously include everyone. Otherwise, unfortunately, we just subconsciously exclude. Do you think that there is an environment that is inclusive but doesn't have psychological safety? I would find that difficult uh, to, to, to think about it. And I'm trying to think of a practical example, because if we are to look at the first level of psychological safety, right, the first one is what we call included. And it starts with that. So the moment you are going to a included uh, a psychological safety environment, then already that means that there are conversations happening. It means there is openness to speak up. There is openness to listen. There is something already happening there. Can some people still feel psychological and safe? Of course, but we're going in the right direction. Um, and then if people are, 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 if inclusion is the first step, then you're going to go into safety to learn, right? And then people feel safe to learn. Then as a result, they feel safe to contribute, of course, because they still feel included and they feel that there's a great learning environment. And then of course, they will feel at one point safe to challenge the status quo, which of course can be very cross-cultural because different cultures have different uh, ways in how they think that they can or they cannot challenge the status quo. But then we're going there into cross-cultural differences. We're going there into pro-social behavior. We're going there into evolutionary psychology and that's for a different session. You already talked a little bit about the the opportunity to engage, to collaborate um, when you have psychological safety as part of that inclusion piece. Let's dive a little more into employee retention and engagement. How much should companies focus on psychological safety to enable um, engagement of employees and to look at retention? How much impact is there to be made? Well, there is a fundamental impact because uh, uh, there is that old saying, I don't think if I know it by heart, but it's something like you you stay where you feel welcome or you, you stay where you, where, you feel, where you feel safe, something like this. Let's put it very simply. If I feel that I go to the office and it feels like home in a way and it's very safe and it's very comfortable um, and I'm being encouraged and I'm being supportive and I'm encouraged to fail, why would I leave? Then maybe the only reason I would leave is because of money. But then that is not something that anyone can do anything about. But the reality is that most people do not leave because of money. People leave because of poor management. People leave because they feel underappreciated. People feel because they uh, uh, people leave because they feel that they are being put down, that they're being uh, uh, um, unrecognized, and so on and so forth. It's all very much to do with how they feel. And money, of course, has an importance. But at a certain level, money is only so much. Uh, and if someone just leaves, say, everything is fantastic, I love this place, it's going to break my heart, but I need to leave for more money, then that's also okay. But then that's not, that that is a very small percentage. So when we are looking at retention, uh, yes, psychological safety plays a major role in retention uh, of employees. And by the way, it also plays a fundamental role in uh, uh, onboarding new employees, because if you have a group of people, a group of employees who feel psychologically safe, they feel heard and seen and acknowledged and validated and encouraged, and they they, they are open up to, to, to contribute and to contradict and everything like that, they will rave right and left and people will knock into your door to come to work with you. 
you don't have to spend time uh, uh, um, um, having uh, um, spending amounts of time going through uh, finding people and all that because they will just be in front of your door knocking. So you see, it has an impact from from both from both sides. Yeah, yeah. Well summarized. I think yeah. It it really paints the picture of psychological safety being much much bigger than than the conversation makes it out to be. So I have two more questions for you. One, yes. I think lots of our listeners will be interested in, and that is how do you measure psychological safety? I know lots of people who are listening now might think, well, psychological safety, it's well and good that it's so important, but how do I know if my employees or my colleagues are psychologically safe? I love human beings' obsession with measuring. I love it. And we can go into so many different topics. The reality is that not everything that can be measured matters. And not everything that matters can be measured. And I'll let that sink in a little bit. Now, can we measure it in different ways? Yes, we can. So first of all, you just sit down with people and you ask them how they feel. Not rocket science. Uh, Very often people expect specific tactics or tools or measurements or scaling up and stuff like that. Start with that. Then a very simple surveying, external surveying and anonymous, asking questions in a specific way will actually give you that answer. What is very interesting there is when we create surveys, we do not ask the right questions. We do not hire the right people who know how to ask specific questions to specific groups. How are these questions asking uh, 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 um, heterosexual uh, uh, people, uh, uh, gay people, um, any sort of neurodiverse brains, uh, neurodivergent brains? Uh, how do we ask someone who is at the spectrum of autism? How do we ask a question someone who has ADHD? Uh, how do we ask someone who uh, maybe has a bipolar uh, a disorder? There's so many different things in the way we ask these specific questions. Then. Do we give them the transparency and the trust for them to know that they can actually answer that uh, questionnaire? Well, make it anonymous, and then you have some answers there. So you start with that to begin with, right? But again, but again it needs to be made a explicit priority, because I think it starts with that. If, if, if we make this topic an explicit priority, and then very important, we need to facilitate everyone speaking up, because you cannot ask, uh, you cannot measure if people do not feel you know, uh, uh, they're, they're facilitated in a way to speak up. And then that's kind of how we start. Of course, there's a lot of different ways how we can do this. But again, very often I see organizations or professionals who come with very complex schemes and very complex solutions, uh, trying to make money, uh, uh, measuring something that cannot be fully measured and, and all that. Just have your team set them down and have an honest, transparent and real conversation with them and then talk about that and what works and what doesn't and, and so on. You know, it's a massive organization. Perfect. You can do a program around that as well. Very often the solutions and the measurement are not as complex as we believe they are. We as they believe they are. What happens very often is that if there's not a lot of money associated with that uh, uh, research or that measurement, people will think that it's not valuable. How silly is that? Someone comes to give you a simple, simple, easy to implement solution and you will not take it because you think it's too, it's too cheap. Therefore, it doesn't work. The cynicism of human beings is fascinating. That and the obsession with measurement. Yeah, well said. Uh, I think for me, two things come up. Uh, one is the issue of social desirability or sort of whether cat bites its own tail. If you don't have psychological safety um, and then you ask questions in a very socially desirable way saying, well, are you happy at work? Who's going to say no if they know that, well, it's going to 
potentially come back to bite them uh, if people find out voilà. what it was who says well i th- these xyz is wrong here and uh, that's why i don't feel happy at work and uh, so that's one and then i guess the way that that we can approach it and, and you very much said that is authenticity right as long as you can authentically show up care about what what people actually have to say um then that already should create sort of a, a basis along the lines of well let's include everyone in the conversation and then really care about what people say it's like this rubik's cube right let's say that this is how it starts at the beginning and it's difficult it's like oh how do i connect it and then you twist and you turn and you twist and you turn and sometimes you make a mistake but you go back and then you tw- oh by the way you learn from that mistake and you twist and you turn and you twist and you turn and you twist and you turn and then you come to this uh, of course, I have two. Don't think that I'm that good, but it's a good, it's a great <laughs> trick, right? I love to use this. But it's it's very simple to comprehend how you go yeah. from here to here. It involves someone yeah. maneuvering trial, it, right? And it doesn't have to be perfect error. from the very beginning. It is trial and yeah. error, um, and that's yeah. how I would encourage people to to trial and to error, and then to talk to their team or to talk to their employees and say, "Listen, we failed here. This is what we learned. Can you please help us do some more?" And then everyone will be like, oh my God, this is so much transparency and authenticity and realness. I don't want to leave this company. I want to contribute to this company. I want to challenge them. I want to support them in in this journey. Uh, Very often professionals and companies, God forbid, do I say that I made a mistake? I would rather just say that it was on purpose or let them leave than me admitting that uh, that I made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. You already answered in part, at least, my last question, which was, what advice do you have for the people listening um, if they are in a, well, in any position at a company? Um, and then most importantly, if they are in HR and, and sort of need to take care of their own people, what do they do? I would, I would, the, my first actual suggestion would be make sure that you hire people who know what they're talking about. LinkedIn is full of nonsense because of nonsense people talking about neurotransmitters like they're molecules. And then LinkedIn is full of of, of, uh, uh, graphs and pyramids that make no sense. We still get, I still see 60,000 likes and interactions on a post when people talk about learning styles. Learning styles have been debunked from 1970. Uh, we do not have a left brain and a right brain because uh, one is more creative and one is more technical. We do not use just 10% of the human brain. You cannot get rid of biases. Um, and I'm going to leave it there. Please make sure, by the way, we did a research also like after the pandemic and we looked into 100 uh, professionals and organizations on LinkedIn calling themselves experts in cognitive biases. And then it turned out that 99 out of 100 did not know what is a cognitive bias, how it is being formed, uh, did not know anything about the nervous system, did not have any comprehension or understanding of how a cognitive bias is formed. And the fact that cognitive biases are not bad, they're just a side response of your brain successfully keeping you alive. Now, you should not have them. You should learn on becoming aware of them, but you cannot get rid of them because you're a human being and your brain has to process subconsciously most of the 11 million bits of information that comes every second because you can only process uh, 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 consciously 50. So what I would say is make sure that you hire the right professionals. Do not get excited and aroused by someone's exciting website, by someone putting 50 logos on their website. It doesn't mean anything to your team and to your organization. It doesn't mean that they have the same problem as you. 
ask questions. Don't be afraid to just ask questions and ask questions and ask questions and asking them how they would help you, not ask them about their credentials. Because who cares about credentials? It's important that they hire, that they have a solution for you. And probably the last thing I would always say is, because I always bump into research and how people manipulate research and research findings in their own advantage um, in order to push themselves further. And I will say, and I will end with one important quote, which is, beware of shallow research and the human aspect between correlation and causality. Yeah. yeah, that's a great one to end on. Thank you so much for having this conversation about psychological safety with me. I learned a lot. I hope that our listeners learned a lot. Um, I knew that this was going to be a long one, and I'm happy that we we took the time to, to go through all of the questions that I had. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Really, thank you so much for having me. It's You can see it's a topic that I'm very passionate about. Uh, that's why I speak with all this pathos, uh, because it's something that I fundamentally believe in. And I'm not talking from a place of uh, talking down at people. I have been part of toxic organizations. Toxic. One organization has been so toxic, I even removed it from my previous uh, uh, um, 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 curriculum of, of roles that I had. I just removed it because it was, and I've been in many situations, also as an external supplier, very often I would go into organizations, I would have to learn about them in order to understand how to, uh, how to provide the expertise that they needed. So I've been part of this. I've been experiencing myself with my colleagues and so on. So I'm not talking from a position of looking down at people or from an academic point of view where I, I've never been in a corporate world and understanding pressure, uh, performing um, uh, yearly appraisals, uh, uh, toxic colleagues, toxic masculinity, toxic that, toxic this. By the way, toxic masculinity applies also to females, not only to men, not only to males. Very important to, to say that because I keep on saying always we blame specific categories. We all mess up. We all mess mistakes very important we all make mistakes and we should all do better that's the most thing we should all just do better with that i want to end our conversation i hope we can continue it another time uh, on the podcast if you accept our invitation to come back in the future to everyone who listened today thank you so much for uh, coming to join us on this conversation Connect with Bogdan on LinkedIn or at least follow him. Ask him all the questions that you might still have. Uh, he, as well, as you just said, you're very passionate about the topic. More so than passionate, you're also knowledgeable on it. Um, an expert in all things, I would always come to you with my questions. So uh, please do as well if you're listening. And um, I hope to see you in the next one. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.